praise the Lord. There's so many uh, things that are going on in this world at the moment, and uh, people can be a bit confused in their thinking. And uh, so we've got a little theme here tonight, uh, this afternoon. Sorry, we're not going to go into tonight. <laughs> and it's uh, uh, great minds think alike. We'll have a little uh, variation on that afterwards. Would you open with me to Isaiah 55? Isaiah 55. So a number of things about uh, our thoughts and about God's thoughts and uh, uh, the way he thinks a little bit differently to us at times. But uh, his ultimate thought concerning us and our well-being. So to do with great minds think alike, in Isaiah 55 and verse 8, it started... It starts off and it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. So as far as great minds thinking alike, we sort of start off with a statement of you're not really there, are you? Okay. I, I guess we'll put it in right here now. Uh, somebody said, well, great minds think alike, but so do stupid ones. And uh, it seems like, uh, you know, you know they're all saying, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And so there's feather brain types. And there's others, and so on it goes. But let's just have a look at this, verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, says the Lord. It says, for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we're told to be careful about our thoughts, and we've got, to, we've got a statement straight out here that we actually don't start with our thoughts being aligned the way that they ought to be. Now, Pastor Steve, in his testimony, uh, he alluded a fair bit to that, even from really quite young. Um, his thoughts troubled him from an early age. And I can say a little bit that uh, mine did as well. You know, when we have, when we have uh, kids come along uh, here in our assembly and they might be eight or nine or ten years old and their thoughts can trouble them, there's no wonder at that time there's a concentration and a thought about how do they get things right with the Lord? Because I remember back at that time as well, having the thought about so many things were just so unfair. And there was just so much injustice. And there was just a whole heap of things where I just sort of thought to do with various people. Why do you act like that? And, and I guess the thought, you know, what are you thinking? And you're able to sort of uh, project about where that all heads. You see a manifestation of people's thoughts in their life, a little sequence that somebody put together. So you've got to watch your thoughts because your thoughts will become your words. And then your words, well, they become actions. The things that you boast to do, that you vow to do, the things that you claim you can do, they become your actions. And whatever your actions are, they become your habits. And then whatever your habits are, that becomes what your character is. And who people think you are. And then you've got to watch your character because that becomes your destiny. Or it becomes, in the Bible sense, it becomes your judgment. So it all starts with our thoughts. So Pastor Steve was saying about that, uh, yeah, but then saying about the miracle that was able to happen inside. And that's where the Bible does talk about that the Lord actually he does apprehend our thoughts. He challenges our thoughts. And by ourselves, or left to ourselves, we're locked in to the things that we have learnt. We get locked into the habits of life, but praise the Lord, he's able to change 
all of those. So Pastor Steve and, uh, and I would have been the same, and, there's, and, and plenty of other people here at that time, they would have been troubled about various things, the sorts of things that keep you awake at night and you wonder about. In the book of Job, he talks about in thought from the visions of the night, it says, when deep sleep falleth on men. He was there saying, other people, they go to bed and they go to sleep. I lay awake and I'm troubled. My thoughts trouble me. I see, as it were, the way that the world is. We see the way that people treat each other. And we think there's just so much injustice, just so unfair. And how do you fix all of those things? And as time goes on, you find that people don't fix those things. We turn around and we, uh, we lament the problems between nations. But the problems between nations started in smaller quantities than the whole nation's. We find that uh, if we go around uh, just in our own societies here and we, uh, we find out about just in people's homes where there's things where people can't quite sort out what they ought to do. And then the troubles that are there spill over and have an effect on a local community. It might be a street and then the community at large and then the, uh, the, the whole neighbourhood and the town, the city and then the nation, it all gets affected and deteriorates and then you end up the fights that begin in home, it spills out and there's fights between nations and the world is not a good and happy place. We'll just go back a little bit um, in this chapter and uh, I, I, I was really pleased we had those things in the testimonies. I'm willing to sort of cut out a few of the scriptures that I had here today, but there's some things we want to bring out. In Isaiah chapter 55, at the uh, verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, Come to the waters, and he that has no money, come you buy and eat. He says, come buy wine and milk, he says, without money and without price. He says, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? It's a little bit, what were you thinking? You're putting in your efforts, you're putting in your determinations, all of your energies into things that ultimately don't profit you, they don't feed you. They don't make you satisfied. It says that your labor for that which satisfies not. It says, hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. So you're going to have to change your ways. If you're going to change your ways, you're going to have to start with a change to your thoughts. So verse 3 says, well, incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. We know from later on in the chapter, he says, we, we, we currently don't think the same. He says, but we can change that thinking, and I'll be able to come into agreement with you, and then we'll be able to achieve, well, your mind's going to become greater, and then great minds can think alike. And so you can think the same as I do. Down in verse 6, we'll jump to of all of the key things that we, we need to do. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Now again, Pastor Steve saying about he had that pivotal moment in his life. The question would have been about what's he actually going to do with himself? And 
we all had to reach that point ourselves, and maybe some people today, you've reached that pivot point, that tipping point in your life where you've tried everything else and nothing is actually satisfied and you're still searching, you're still wondering. And that's why you have to keep traveling around to find, well, where's the truth? Where are the things that actually really do satisfy? So uh, seek him while he uh, may be found, call upon him while he is near. And then verse 7, and let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We have to change our thoughts. We're out of step, out of step with the Lord. It says, and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon so then we have that reinforcement. And he was saying, because so far, my thoughts are not the same as your thoughts. And you're going to need to fix those things. Go to Psalm, uh, Psalms 10, just back a little bit. Yeah, there is so much through the scriptures where the Lord talks about our thoughts. Way back in Genesis, uh, in, in chapter 6, it says, God saw the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. That's a big judgment. It's like you're not getting anything right. You're not getting it right. And he saw it and he looked out over the earth because he says that he does that. Now, the scriptures tell us that the eyes of the Lord they run to and fro over the whole earth to show himself to be strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. To have that perfection, you've got to have the right thoughts. And so he's looking forever. Where is somebody who thinks the same way that I do? Where are those people? And I want to show myself strong as soon as I see a hint that they're thinking in that right direction. And he does show himself to be strong. And he apprehends us, he corrects us, and so on. We know the same sort of phrase about the imagination of the thoughts of the heart. When uh, King David was uh, going to be transferring his throne to, to, to Solomon, the instruction that he gave was to say, you're going to have to think correctly. We know that Solomon fell into quite a number of difficulties, but David understood and he said to him, Solomon, know God. Know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. He says, well, the Lord, Lord searches our hearts, he says, and he understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. He says, and if you seek him, a little bit like we've, we've already read, he'll be found of thee. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. He'll cast you off forever. So Psalm 10, and we're going to go through just a few things to do with people's wrong thoughts and their wrong thinking. We won't turn to all of them, but this one, uh, I guess, it summarizes a number of number of things here. In Psalm, chapter, Psalm 10, just in verse 4, it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Elsewhere in Psalm 14, it says, The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. We go to Isaiah and it talks about how people's feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood and their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. It's not of putting things right. 
and justice and righteousness and holiness and truth. And as a result, wasting and destruction are what they get. They're in their paths. Isaiah as well, the Lord laments that he spread out his hands and he's made an appeal to a people, but there are rebellious people. They walk in a way that's not good after their own thoughts. And they've chosen the way, it was the same way as Adam and Eve, but rather than just the, you know, the tree of life and the righteousness with the Lord, they chose and they thought, well, we would actually will choose from the knowledge of good and evil. Tree of knowledge and good and evil. We'll work it out for ourselves and we'll make our own decision on things. And the Lord says, you're still doing it. You walk in a way that's not good after your own thoughts. And he goes on and he says, and this is a judgment, the thoughts of the wicked, they're an abomination to the Lord. He says, I can't abide them. I'd wait well in that same place. I won't just agree to differ either. That oh, you've got your opinion, I've got my opinion. Well, the Lord's opinion is truth. The Lord's opinion is right. And the people know not the thoughts of the Lord. In Jeremiah, actually, we'll get this so you can underline it if you need to. Jeremiah chapter 6. When you read through the book of Jeremiah, poor old Jeremiah, who was forever dealing with people, say, your thinking's not right. Your judgment's not right. Your choices are not right. And he understood, oh, there's the Lord returning. Oh, no, it's not. No, that's just the plains. Just a lot we want to get out of here in Jeremiah, uh, just in chapter 6. As we said before about thoughts, words, actions, habits, character, and destiny, in Jeremiah's a little summary statement here uh, in chapter 6 and verse 19, and where it says, uh, Here, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts. Even the fruit of their thoughts. It says, Because they've not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but they've rejected it. And we want to have a look at a few things. You know, the Lord wants us to be thinking people. At the beginning of the book of Isaiah, there's an invitation that says, well, come now and let us reason together. The Lord actually expects people to be not blind faith people, but reasoning people. Because you actually reason out about faith. You can reason out about the way that the Lord would operate if he was able to, if he was actually all powerful, what he might be able to set up for us. And so we can reason those things out. The thoughts of the Lord towards us. In Psalm 30, actually, we, yeah, we'll go back, back to Psalm 33. We'll do a little jump around for a couple of these. This is to do with the thoughts of the Lord. For many of us, uh, I guess, uh, you know, earlier days growing up, even the thought that the Lord would think of us, it was just sort of so remote, we had no engagement at all. I know I had thoughts, but I didn't have an engagement with him. In Psalm 33, in verse 11, it says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. The thoughts of his heart. When you break down the words and you look into them, the thoughts of his heart, it's not just to do with his feelings, it's also to do with his thinking, it's his intellect. He's made a revelation to all generations. He doesn't leave people just guessing. So at the end they're able to say, 
oh, I didn't even know what I was supposed to think. He pointed those things out in Psalm 40. Yeah, yeah let's, we're quite close, so let's just hit that one. Psalm 40 and verse 5, and it says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts, which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. As soon as we stop and we reflect on our, our life and about the blessings of God and the, uh, the things that he's tried to give by way of revelation to us, we think, oh, there's just so much. He hasn't just left us just to be floundering. He wanted to help us. In Psalm 92, it talks about, uh, Lord, uh, how great are your works, and your thoughts are very deep. And in Jeremiah 29, that's a big one that a lot of people rest in hope in. It's from the Lord. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. There's thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil. And in this version, it says to give you an expected end. In other versions, so that you might have hope and a future. And so the Lord gives a, he's given a lot of thought and he gave thought to salvation. And so we've learned about God and Jesus, about thoughts to do with uh, salvation. While we're still in Psalms, uh, 139, because we've got a great invitation from the Lord to change our thoughts if they are out of step with him. He wants us to bring us into an alignment so that when we reason together, we'll all be in agreement. Great, li- great uh, minds will think alike. He wants to give us a great mind to be able to think about the things that are really important. In uh, uh, Psalm 139, we said in verse 17, How precious are their thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand, and when I awake, I'm still with thee. Jump down to verse 23, and the request is, Well, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's an invitation, Lord, whatever you find, if you've got to change my thoughts, it's not just about, uh, I guess, chastising me to, for my actions, so that I might learn to change my actions. The invitation back to the Lord is, Lord, I know you're going to have to change my thoughts, and that's going to that's going to be necessary. Now Jesus did more than just judge people's actions; he actually interrogated our thoughts. What is overlooked? There's a couple of stories on this, but over into into the New Testament, Matthew chapter twelve. So Jesus was able to jump and not just comment on people's actions. He in a number of places we read about where he knew their thoughts. And here's just one of the examples here. In Matthew chapter uh, 12, and, and, and this would, would, would challenge us as well to think about, well, what, our, what would our judgment be when we see the works that Jesus might do? In Matthew chapter 12, and just from uh, verses uh, 22 to 25, we'll read, verse 22, there was brought unto him, unto Jesus, one possessed with a devil, a blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. 
says, And all of the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? It says, And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. He's doing this in some spurious way. This is not really of God, they're saying. It says, And Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, I think Jesus knew their thoughts before he even came across them and perhaps deliberately put himself in this position so that they'd have to actually deal with this challenge to them. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself, and how shall then his kingdom stand? So Jesus would give a bit of a challenge back about their, um, their, their thoughts. And look, you haven't thought this out very well, have you? It was actually a, a thoughtless, we might even actually say a brainless judgment by some of those people to turn around and, say, and see a miracle like that and put it down and say, that's a trick of the opposition that now this person has been helped. It's a brainless thought. I got a little comment. It's actually from a minion. It says the fact that jellyfish have survived for 650 million years despite not having a brain gives hope to many people. <laughs> those, 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 those people, actually another minion had uh, talked about a disease, uh, idiotitis. Idiotitis. Causes the brain to shut down and the mouth to keep talking. Thousands affected. Might be contagious. Best defence, slap and run. So, they, so there's, there's people here, when they saw the works of Jesus, and they made foolish judgments on that. Where is there our hope of salvation? The, the, uh, the author of salvation is before them and showing the works that he's able to do. And they come up with a statement like that. There's another statement that I have in my office. I've, I've said about it before. I'm not saying that you're stupid. I'm just saying you've got bad luck when it comes to thinking. And so those people sort of struggle with all of those areas. So Jesus was able to have a look at all of those things. We find another time in the, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a man brought a man who uh, was, uh, was, was, was uh, taken of a palsy. He couldn't walk. Uh, they went along to Jesus and uh, they let him down through the roof to be able to see Jesus. And when Jesus came along, and he said to him, Yeah, man, your sins be forgiven you. They'd taken him to the right person. He says, And then the scribes and Pharisees again, they began to reason and says, Who is this? He's speaking blasphemies. Now, up to this point, Jesus had already done many, many marvelous things. He says, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he didn't have to go and say, Oh, explain that to me. He understood what they were thinking was. He answered them, he challenged them back. He said, why are you reasoning this out in your hearts? He says, well, would it be easier to say, your sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk? He said, but the, so that you might know, for the Son of Man has got power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the one who was sick of the palsy, I say to thee, arise and take up your couch and go. Take up your couch and go to your house. And immediately he was healed. And you know what the, the result of all that was? The man rose up and he walked on his way and the other people said, we've seen strange things today. 
the immediate change in their thoughts. We found the Son of God. We found him. I want you to go to, uh, oh yeah, we will go to Luke, but chapter 6. Yeah, Luke chapter 6, and uh, we'll just go from verse 6. It came to pass also on another Sabbath, the engine of the synagogue and taught, there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an, uh, an accusation against him. Again, they're not thinking. So, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he rose and he stood forth. And then Jesus said unto them, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? I don't know how long he paused on that. We don't know whether he even repeated it to them. Would it be lawful to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? Anyway, looking around upon them all, he said to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. It says, And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. They were filled with madness. When you dig into that word, there's actually a couple of lines you can take on it. One is, they were filled with rage. The other one is, by implication, they were filled with stupidity. They were filled with stupidity. What a thing to be challenging. What a thing to be challenging. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. So we've read a few things from the Word of God here today. And it might be a bit of a challenge to some people. Particularly in the world where, where people pride themselves on their, on their logic levels. You know, honest people realise they actually can't work everything out for themselves. Honest people do that. Arrogant people, well, I'll actually say, oh, I'll work it all, out all by myself. Thank you very much. I don't, and they say, oh, I don't need religion. They say, I don't need God. It's all, well, they do need God. That's the only way they're going to have actually a salvation. So I don't believe in a salvation. It's coming whether you believe in it or not. It's all going to be happening. But Hebrews chapter 4, if we want to find... And you want to test yourself and test your own thoughts. How well do my thoughts align with God's thoughts? If we want to be able to say, oh, I want to have a great mind. Not the same as having a great intellect. I want to have a great mind. I want to be able to make right judgments. I want to be able to deal with truth and things that are actually righteous, things that are fair and honest, all those sorts of things. The only way to know where you stand is to compare yourself with the Word of God. Because it tells us here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, just for the Word of God is quick. It means it's living, it's alive. The Word of God is quick and is powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
When it talks about the joints and marrow, it means about the deepest parts of our nature. It will identify where we are at. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. It exposes and judges where we are at. Verse 13, it says, And neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked, means exposed, and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In the Amplified, it goes on to say, with whom we have to give account. And it's our thoughts compared to, to his. What we have found, now people have come along, you heard those testimonies before from Pastor Stephen from Milton. There's a comfort that comes because of the experience that they had receiving the Lord's Holy Spirit. In Psalm 94, there's a great little line this is in the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. There's actually a really deep phrase in that. In the multitude of my thoughts, thy comforts delight my soul. You're able, everybody, to end up being delighted because we're able to be comforted. The comforter is the Holy Ghost. You might not have understood exactly what uh, your Pastor Steve and Milton was saying earlier on about they found a place of engagement with the Lord. They received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in water. And that's the saying, look, Lord, I want to I stop being bound just to the thoughts that I can generate all by myself. I want to stop being bound by all the other limitations of this life. It's a, it's, a, it's a death and it's a burial type service. I want to stop this life that I might start to live the new one and I want it to be with you. I want it to be that way. Because when people receive the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, we've got maybe a couple of people who didn't know that this actually happened. This is the beginning of the church. The church didn't arise out of philosophy and about people gradually learning little bits and pieces and then eventually getting to a point, oh, now I know enough. It didn't work that way. Jesus came on the scene and he showed himself to be the Son of God with power. He did the miracles that were talked about. We know and we believe that he did the miracles then because he does the miracles now. He does marvelous things for, for, for so many people. And Jesus commanded his disciples, you have to, you've got to be empowered from above. You wait until you get the promise of the Father. You've heard it of me. And they waited, and they prayed, and they talked, and they thought, and they didn't know what was going to happen. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord, one purpose, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were other people that they looked and they saw that happen. They said, what's this all about? And Peter was able to stand up and say, this is the promise that comes from God. 
This is what Jesus spoke about. This is the Holy Spirit experience. This is the thing that if we went back to Ezekiel and we went back to other places in the Old Testament, this is the thing that's going to change people's hearts. This is the thing that's going to remove a heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. This is the thing that's going to cause people's thoughts to be able to align because they'll be able to see the power of God. And the people, when they listened to all of that, and they became convinced. Oh, Peter actually knows what he's talking about here. And so they're, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do yet. And we jump to verse 37. When they heard these things from Peter, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we get it right? And Peter said to them, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and you'll also receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It says, and with many other words, you did testify and exhort, save yourself from this underworld generation. And then it says, and they, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This word of God is going to be a discerner of your thoughts. For anyone yet who's not been baptized before with the Holy Spirit, oh, don't delay, you can have that today. You don't want to miss out on that. And afterwards, you'll be comfortable in your thoughts. With our thoughts, we have a challenge in our conscience about so many things. You can have that dealt with, and your life's a whole heap easier. In Isaiah 55, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And in John chapter 16, it goes on to say, oh, actually in John chapter 16, verse 12, it did say uh, from Jesus, I've got lots of things to say to you. He says, oh, I'm going to be going away, but I won't leave you without help. It goes on to say, it says, but when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He'll align your thoughts, he'll align your, our expectation, and then we'll be able to join in with the Lord, and we'll be able to say, well, praise the Lord, you've changed my mind, you've helped your thoughts, and in the end, when we get taken up to the Lord, he says, I don't see a difference between you and me, and we'll be up there rejoicing and say, how good is this? Great minds are thinking alike. There's a promise for all of us. Amen. Amen. <laughs>